Wasn't that incredible? Not sure which sound sounded better or side. But man, y'all all have some beautiful voices. Thank you for sharing your talents with us today. Well, today we are returning to uh, the second of a three-part series. The third one will be finished at Kids Camp. We're going through the uh, daily topics or the daily kind of scripture readings for camp. And so if you look behind me, that's where we're going, A, B, and C. Last week we admitted, today we will believe. So you remember last week, Peter, the fisherman, the businessman, the blue-collar worker. Here's an itinerant preacher, listens to him as he sits there taking a break in his boat just off the water's edge, grumbles when he says, set out to deeper water, because he's a fisherman, he knows how to fish, this is a preacher, what's a preacher going to tell him to do about his daily life, but he does reluctantly, pulling so many fish, nearly sinks two boats, And when he came to his senses, he fell down at Jesus' feet. He said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinner. Later in the gospel story, we pick up on another scene. Another scene in which the disciples are there and Peter stands out. Peter has become kind of the chosen leader of the motley group of men, included fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, all sorts. Twelve men destined to change the world. Just before our scene opens up in Matthew 14, the disciples witness Jesus take just a handful of ingredients and feed a multitude. Jesus is the bread of life who gives freely to all who come to him. He provided for their physical need, but in the same time, he was teaching them a spiritual lesson. He was teaching them to trust in him for their provision, for what looks minuscule in our sights, in the hands of Jesus will become this great feast in the days to come. And so our story picks up in chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 22. And it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And when he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those on the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter walked on the water. Did you hear that? Isn't that incredible? Have you ever walked on the water? I've seen people try. Go on YouTube. Look at an alligator coming up out of a boat or something like that. You're going to see people try. But no one has successfully walked on water since this day. They're little creatures that can run on the water because they are equipped. God made them in the right weight, with the right type of feet, with the right type of speed, so they can cruise on the top of the water. They don't live around here because there's not much water to walk on. But we have to compare these two stories. For immediately, Jesus does something. That ties us into the one before. If we read this story of walking on the water, of Peter and Jesus walking on the water by itself, sometimes we miss some of the important aspects. Jesus was, for the disciples at this point, foremost a teacher. He was their Lord, but he was teaching them how to take on the mantle that he will leave them. Starting the church that we have inherited today, one that has endured for generations after generations. But he must teach them. I've always wondered when I've read this story, how did the disciples keep messing up? Now, Matthew seems to be a little bit kinder. He kind of came from there. Eyewitness was part of them. Then Mark. Read through the book of Mark. The disciples are viewed very negatively. They never seem to get it right. And even in the end of the story, when Jesus has been risen, there's not much of account of Jesus talking to disciples. We are left with this feeling of utter despair because this incredible thing has happened and they sit there at the tomb, cowered in fear. But Mark tells this story because he tells the importance of what Jesus did for them. He also shows the importance of your responsibility in the matter. We can't depend on others to carry this gospel message to the ends of the earth. It falls on those who hear and those who believe. It falls on those who will say their ABCs, that they've admitted that they were a sinner, that they believe in Jesus as their Savior, and that they confess for, for others that he is Lord and he will be their master for the rest of their life. For that is what the gospel is about. It is about changing us. It is about changing our status. It is about changing our status from an enemy of the cross to a beloved child of God. Jesus, the teacher, how do you read stories? Do you picture them in your mind as you read, or do you just see the ink on the pages? Is your imagination vivid? Do you fill it in with colors, or is it black and white? How do you read stories? 
For the Gospels are the story of Christ, and we have to have this vivid imagination and paint in the colors and the smells and the sights and the sounds. This isn't about gathering information, but it is about living in the moment that these things happened. I mean, think about it. If you had a teacher who just showed you you could feed 5,000 people with a handful of crackers and some sardines, what would it be like living in that moment, being one of those men? And then at the end of the day, Jesus is tired, but Jesus always is tired at the end of the day because he works miracles, he heals, he preaches. It may not be the physical labor that he, he tired from, but it was the mental strain of giving all of himself to the crowd. And so I'm sure they weren't surprised when Jesus sent them away because Jesus' habit was that to be by himself and pray to refuel. It was one of the spiritual disciplines that he practiced over and over and over, even to the end. If you read the Gospels and you miss the fact that Jesus was a man of prayer, you miss a very important aspect about who Jesus was and what he taught. But he sends those disciples away on the water about dusk so that he could retreat to the mountainside to pray. Kind of brings us back to the scene of Moses ascending Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from the very hand of God. He goes up. And the children of God are down there at the base. In this scene, they are going away on the water. They are not in the very presence of God. And they're left to their own devices. But Jesus taught them something. He taught them who he was through this miracle of feeding. He taught them a little bit about how to trust in the provisions. When it doesn't seem like there is a possibility, God will provide the way for them. Jesus does it. A matter of hours goes by. And so have you pictured yourself setting out on a sea and basically what equivalent of a rowboat? They're not much bigger. Look it up on the internet. Look up Galilean fishing vessels because I'm sure they were still using one of their vessels from before. They set out in this rowboat going across the sea. Maybe it was a pretty afternoon. Could have been, you know, red skies at morning. Sailors take warning. Red skies at night. Sailors delight. I don't know. Maybe it was a pretty sunset. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they knew this was a bad time to cross. Maybe they didn't because they were people of this area and they knew how to look at the weather and to predict it. But this area was also unpredictable. For the seas could have been smooth when they set out. And this was just going to be, we're going to go ahead and set up camp. They were probably planning their next point of their mission. You know, if Jesus just fed all these people, man. We got to get over there, get kind of a base camp, so get, get the campaign going, get the word out. I mean, have you ever planned a revival? That's what they're doing. They were getting the word out. We're going to go to the synagogues and say, hey, Jesus will be here. Get ready. We're going to have somewhere for him to go Saturday night to read some scriptures and expound the word for you. Maybe these were the thoughts going around in the disciples' head. They were just planning their next step because this was exciting. Did you see that? 5,000 people. I wasn't counting the women and children there. It was a multitude. If he could do that here, let's go get it ready so we can do it again. 
mean, can you see that? That's how I'd have been. I'd have been like, man, we've got this guy. He's incredible. We just have to get the word out and they're going to come. This is unbelievable what he can do. And so they go, they go out. But then the weather changes. It's almost as if it becomes satanic because the winds and the waves were against them. It had chosen their vessel as the target of its wrath. And they row, they rowed hard. But it's also dark, it's also night. They don't have LED flashlights that can go through the weather. You know, maybe they have a lantern that's made for sea that they could keep the light going, but I imagine it even got uh, extinguished in the wind and the rain. Dark swells of water all around you. The sky covered. You can't see. I mean, I remember being out on the water in a little 50-horsepower Wahoo Bay boat. The day a big storm had come through. Swells were about eight foot. Now, if you're in a big boat, that's probably not that huge of a deal. But this little bitty boat, I mean, the size of a bass boat, you go down, all you see is water. And this was just the aftermath of the storm. The wind was calm. There was no rain. We could see. And just being small and all seeing water kind of does something to you. We turned that boat around, parked it, and went, went and fished from the pier. They didn't have this option. They were trying to get this option. But it's as if the very sea itself was out to sink them. Then another miracle takes place. Jesus, a mountainside away, they were probably miles from his location. But he knows their trouble. And he can pinpoint them on the water without GPS. And he goes walking. Now, I always picture Jesus walking on the water on, a, on a kind of more of a stroll. That's wrong. That's not what it's here. I mean, the waves were up and dancing all around. Read through the story of Jonah, and it's as if they have arms and legs and feet. Watch some of the cartoons that depict that. I love the old Popeye one that kind of has the story of Jonah woven into it. The water comes up, makes a fist, and pounds on the vessels. How was Jesus walking on that? I mean, I've walked on treadmills that would do the incline stuff before, and if you hit that sucker, you know, like 10% incline, you're, you're, oh man, hold on tight. But the very ground, this water under his feet was moving. Was he strolling? Was he running? How did he get there? How do you picture it? And then the disciples, they see him. They see Jesus. They think it's a ghost. I remember I translated this passage from Greek to English one time. Probably never do it again. But this ghost, this word, phantasma, it's where we get our word in English, phantom. Isn't that incredible? Phantasma. There's this illusion of something there. There's this ghostly figure. You're not sure if it's your eyes playing tricks on you, if it's this mirage. But then you start finding out your buddies, these other 
12 guys in the boat are seeing the same thing, and then it really scares you. Because it's one thing if you see it, no one else confirms it. That means it's just your mind playing tricks on you. But everyone sees it. They see it at the same time, and they are absolutely terrified. In the story of Mark, we have this. And it's as if Jesus was going to pass them by. We don't have that here. Matthew leaves it out. You don't really need it to tell the story. But this ties into that scene right before this miracle. Jesus was testing his disciples. Jesus knew intuitively that that night when he sent them out immediately that they would run into this storm. But he wanted to see how their faith would survive. For they were having, they had some faith in Jesus. They believed what he could do. They knew what he was capable of. But it took the resurrection before it became part of who they were, before that faith grew into something of significance. He wanted to see what they could do with this information, with this data that he could provide all of their needs. Could they make the correlation between actual food and survival in a storm? as if he was passing them by to remind them, I've got this, have faith. Believe that I have a plan for you. Believe that there's something more than this storm. Remember me and what I can do. But they're not thinking of that. For the trappings of life had surrounded them all they could see at the moment. They couldn't see Jesus. They would see the wind and the rain and the waves. But that was what was against them. That was their only focus in the moment. Jesus comes to him. He says, do not be afraid. For it is I. Do you remember that story in Exodus? Moses is asking God, well, who am I to say sent me? It's chapter 3. Look it up if you want it more clearly defined. God responded, you tell him, I am sent you. Also loving that scene. Well, how do I know this is going to pan out? You know, remember this Moses asking God? He says, when you come back here and worship me on this mountain, then you will know what I am telling you is the truth. kind of the same thing with the disciples well how do I know that I know that you are the real deal Jesus says I am do not be afraid you will know for sure when you're in heaven and you can worship me in the spirit and in the resurrected form as I created you faith Peter was starting to get it. He knew who controlled the wind and the waves. He knew it was Jesus. He said, Lord, command me to come to you. He says, I can't just see you walking on the water. I need your command to do something amazing. And Jesus said, come, Peter, come to me. Come out on this water. 
Peter steps out, out of that boat. He is only focused on Jesus and he begins to walk to him. I wonder how far off he was. Five feet, ten meters, you know, how, how long were we, we away? I don't know. It was a football field. Was it less? It was in earshot. For some of us, that's not very far. But he gets down out of that boat and he does something truly incredible. He walks on the water at Jesus' command. He believes that Jesus is the one who is in control. He believes that if he just calls me, I will go and incredible things will happen. And it does for that brief moment. And then the problems of this world, they come about him, don't they? Maybe it was the spray of the water on his face. But he loses sight of Jesus in this moment. He loses sight of what he is doing in the presence because of the wind and the waves. And he begins to sink. And he cries out to Jesus, save me. Jesus steps into creation. He comes down and he scoops Peter up. Imagine carrying him like a little baby back to that boat. And as soon as they step forward, quiet, stillness, calm. This was an incredibly violent situation. The boat rocking, tossing back and forth. But when the presence of Christ steps into their plane of vision. Everything is still. Faith without understanding has incredible potential. Peter had faith of Jesus who he was, but he hadn't quite fully understood what Jesus was for him. And in that brief moment of that little bit of faith that Peter had their greatness broke into our world for the I am that spoke to Moses was the I am who calmed their fears was the one who parted the waters to rescue a band of slaves and who stilled the storms who can do that today faith brings great potential. But faith requires the understanding of God. We look at the ABCs. It is the basis of what we believe. We look at the baptism back there. It's covered up today, I know. Kind of ruins my symbolism. But we see the waters. We see the level. And what do we say as Baptists? This is symbolism. This is testimony of an inward reality. We talk about being immersed in the grave. For our sins will bury us in the ground. And without Christ, we stay there. But in baptism, we see that we don't have to stay there because we have Jesus, the crucified one, who atoned for our sins, who gave his life so that we may be ransomed and become children of God. And just as he was resurrected that Easter morning, so we too are raised from the waters of baptism to show the world that we will follow our resurrected Lord and live a new life, a new creation, 
but we don't stay back there. Nathan, you're not up there anymore, are you? You baptized quite a few of your youth. They're not up there. Where'd they go? Some of them are here. We don't stay there. We go out into the world. We leave our present place, change, new, with the message, what we symbolize as we join together with this body of believers, we carry into the world. That is very much a part of baptism for us. Because if it was, we'd all be in those waters hanging out day after day. But that's not what we believe. We believe that God changes us as he changed Peter. And when Peter would understand the resurrection, he would go into the world with the message of Jesus, one of faith and understanding, one that it is only through Jesus that we are saved. It is only when we confess our sins and repent and follow him that we are redeemed. That was the message of Peter to this world. That is the message of Christ. And at this point, Peter comes to believe. He believes he is Lord. Do you believe? Have you made that decision? Maybe you have understanding without faith. Maybe you have read the scriptures from start to finish, translated them from Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew. Maybe you know that all, memorize a good bit of it. Maybe your understanding is sound, but you've never experienced the potential of faith as walking on water. Maybe your understanding needs to go to belief. Jesus is Lord. And as soon as he steps into your life, the chaos of this world becomes still, becomes quiet. And you are there with him. And they go on to the other side so that Jesus can continue his work. Have you continued down your path? Are you still back there sinking in the water? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that your faith needs to be broadened with a further understanding. Maybe it's time your understanding needs to be bolstered, your faith with action. Well, this is not just a story to tell. This is a story to live. Sharing the gospel, healing the sick, feeding the the hungry. It's all in there. Maybe this is the day you can look back on and say, I truly became a disciple of Jesus. I am now one of his, and I'm leaving my life for him alone. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us this time to come into your house and to worship you and to listen to your message. Lord, I pray for those here today that if this is the day that they will bow down and worship you and call you Lord. That they will admit that they are as sinners 
that they will believe in you, have the power to conquer the grave, and that they will be raised to walk a new life. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.